This is the Open School of Business, the podcast dedicated to success by delivering insightful conversations with business experts from different walks of life. Here's your host, Anaru Musakwa, entrepreneur and a project management professional. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave your comments and questions, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Let's begin. Hello, Shahid. Uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm very happy to have you today. Um, for our audience, I'm going to introduce you. Shahid Kayani is the CEO of TechWave, company providing safe risk management framework support and agile practices to federal government cloud application strategy, and he is responsible for ensuring optimal organizational alignment and effective service delivery. Um, I know Shahid um, from my project management background. He's in strategic management leadership and uh, agile training, coaching, uh, project program, portfolio management, and risk management uh, framework implementations and support. Um, he has served clients from a wide range of fields, including the U.S. federal government, financial, uh, mortgage, pharmaceutical, consulting industries with institutions like USAID, U.S. Air Force, Fannie Mae, GlaxoSmithKline, Wachovia, and the Bureau of National Affairs and PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, I mean, whoa, <laughs> you've worked in so many uh, companies. And um, also, um, Shahid holds an MBA in business from University of Sunderland and postgraduate diploma in business and another postgraduate diploma in strategic business information technology. So I would say um, that Shahid has a really solid experience. And uh, today he is a, a big enthusiast of safe uh, risk management framework uh, and an agile um, guru, I would say. So it's my pleasure to have you on my podcast today. Uh, and to start off, I'd like to ask you um, if being a leader and having your own business was something that you dreamt about in your childhood. Uh, and if not, what was your dream job as a kid? Good question. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I can start out with this one. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. That was my dream. And uh, somehow life events and uh, brought me into uh, America. And uh, from America, and um, after all these years of uh, working in, um, again, IT jobs, uh, management jobs, and uh, I'm at the place now that um, I say, okay, let's, let's, let's jump and start my own business. So that's a transition from a childhood, which is once to be a doctor, now I'm a businessman. Right. And um, uh, do you think that the, those were the f- circumstances that led you into business rather than passion uh, in the first place? You had to choose. Uh, if given a choice, I will stay where I am right now because I have a natural nag of being a leader. Uh, and here's the reason. Um, there are two kinds of things in the world. Uh, I, we call them leaders and managers. Managers, uh, it's a hardcore skill. You learn it. Leadership is a natural skill, and you grow into it and be successful and be good at it. So I love to be a leader, and that's my core skill. And I, I, really, um, I really love it. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, I think a lot of times um, it happens to immigrants where we find our natural talent by probing the market. And even though you have certain passions for certain other fields, and it can be arts or science or being a doctor, uh, but still, if you have that core talent, the the people see it and you'll have more demand in that field. So um, in terms of your uh, career, um, now you have left the uh, corporate world to start your own business, uh, but you're still, going uh, in the same field of IT and project management. Can you tell us more about the um, services that you're providing now and uh, clients that you're serving nowadays? Positively, yes. So leaving the corporate world, it was um, not a hard transition for me to start my own business because um, in a corporate world, um, the key role you do is still you are uh, I use the term a servant leader. As a leader, you're still ser- uh, a leader leading a team. When you a servant, that means you're serving your team. So it goes back to um, starting my own um, venture, which is, okay, so how do you transition into your own, uh, you know, you want to call your own business? So it wasn't that hard, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, it's something that you have to calculate your risks because when you're working with somebody, even in the corporate world, you note that um, you every two weeks or end of every month, you are pretty much guaranteed a paycheck. Now, when you start your own company, it does come with a lot of challenges and risks. So if you calculate it right, that okay, these are, this is my threshold, and I can stick with that. If, it, if my risk is within the threshold, sure, why not? I'll proceed with that, but again, Having your own, uh, you know, business, it does again. When I talk about risk, it's a threshold, challenges. Um, there's an old term that comes in from Dutch: money makes the money. What that means is that when you, uh, you know, sail a ship, you cannot expect that you know uh, it's just going to go across the seven seas. There's investment involved in there. That's a term can and money brings the money. You have to be prepared that there is going to be an initial you know, um, upward costs associated with that. You have to have be ready for that, that how much you're investing initially, uh, how much you're saving it, not saving it, but keeping it for at least six months or a year that you have to sustain your expenses, which is your family expenses and business expenses. Now comes the next uh, thing is that how, how do you go by developing a company and what kind of services? What's your vision? What is your goal? What, what you're going to provide to the client? What's the market demand? You have to calculate all these avenues. You just file a company, it costs you a couple of hundred dollars. But what exactly are you trying to accomplish within a company? Uh, so when I started a company, so I pretty much leveraged my past experience, uh, type of services I provided. I was involved in the corporate world. And some of the key services, for example, well, number one is Agile. Uh, I've been in Agile world since 2008. And, um, I wind up taking a certification from a huge organization that provides agile service or framework. It's called SAFE, which is Scale Agile Framework. So within my business model, uh, one of the services I provide is agile coaching, agile training, which is uh, on-site, or it could be in a classes uh, format. So I provide training in multiple cities in the U.S. So that's a one part of it. 
then also uh, my career in IT started with the Microsoft products. So I've been with the Microsoft all these 20 plus years. So what I did is that I partnered up in Microsoft. I took their few partnerships, for example, um, Microsoft uh, Dynamics 365, the Azure Cloud, and they also called Microsoft Platform. So that was my second services. So I provide platform as a services to the government and private sector. The key service I provide to the government through my uh, business is the cybersecurity. So I am uh, within government sector, any application or anything to reside in a government sector, it has to comply with the government standard we call RMF ANA, which is Risk Management Framework Access and Authorization. And uh, you have to be certified in there. So I'm certified RMF uh, ANA gentleman. So you have to go to a bunch of government certifications so you understand that what exactly the government cybersecurity protocols are. So this is one of my key services within my business model, which is cybersecurity. And I strictly provide those services to the federal government and DOD. All right, excellent. And I see that you have a real uh, entrepreneurial understanding in terms of how to use the skills that you've accumulated over the years and the network and uh, the people you know and exactly the field that you knew for many years and transition into um, starting it as a separate company. Um, now, another question is when you say that you do all these things and uh, you're using your past experience. Uh, also, um, can you touch upon the human aspect um, of the business and uh, how you grow uh, the sales, how you grow uh, the team? Uh, for example, if you have a surplus of work, uh, how do you find people to start working on projects? Um, Definitely. And, uh, yes. Sure. So there's a two-part question. So first thing will be that how 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 you come up in a business. So over the years, I, I've been in IT since 1998, so that's 21 plus years. And um, over the years, I developed a network of um, professionals um, and also in a business world. Uh, for example, you mentioned earlier that you know my background started from um, big corporate structure, Wachovia Bank, Nazi Wells Fargo. Uh, then I came to the bureau. I can talk about um, it in North Carolina. I work for a company called Duke Energy. They are pretty big. So, you know, you want to be successful. Success has a you know few um, you know I would say criteria for you to be successful. One of the key criteria is that um, you have to be people person. You have to create the network. Uh, among your professionals, among in a business world, and uh, on top of it, maintain the network. And uh, that's the one thing that success comes in. I mean, you can do the marketing. That's another avenue. But the human touch, you just mentioned earlier, people. People are the one who, you know, who you have to interact. You have to network and maintain the relationship with the people. Now comes the second part, people. So when you work with the people, I mean, I, I can go back, I don't know, even maybe the last couple of jobs, okay. Uh, I was a director. Prior to that, I was a portfolio manager at the Fannie Mae slash, you know, uh, program management on the corporate function side. You know, success of a leader, so you lead. A leader is, it just leads, but leads with examples. And also, develop people. I always believe that 
as a leader, you want to be successful, lead people, coach people, but develop high-performing teams. Work with the people. Uh, listen to them. Uh, have an empathy. Uh, not a sympathy, because sympathy is not good, because sympathy carries you in the wrong direction. Have an empathy with the people. Uh, listen to the people, always. Uh, once people start telling you things, okay, just listen. That's the key thing. So develop high-performing teams, and they will bring you success. All it takes at that time is that you lead them into the right direction. Show them the right vision of the client or your corporate, what exactly the goals and the vision is, and people take you to success. That, that, it's only a few secrets in there, but the people. Always remember that you develop people, and they will grant you success. Especially working in consulting and working with people, you always need to keep in mind that networking and building relationships is the most important. Well, now it comes, when it comes to personal effectiveness, um, do you have one single action that you take every day that helps you to stay focused, to stay on top of your game? Um, I have a goal. So you always remember that. What is, what is your goal? What's your vision? Uh, my vision is that you provide your customers or clients quality products, listen to their concerns, and satisfy their concerns. And, you know, there, there's an old term in the market that says customers always right, which is not true, actually. <laughs> Customer could be wrong. But try to understand that what is wrong. Do not confront them. Again, again, I used the word empathy earlier. Understand that what their concern is. Even though they're wrong, understand their concern and try to mitigate and satisfy that concern. And that's, that's what it is. So when I wake up in the morning, so what I look at that. Okay, the first thing comes first. When you look at a family, you say, well, thank God I'm alive. Thank God I'm healthy. Okay? And then you start walking around and you say, you know, what is my next target? Okay. So these are my agenda items. When I close my last night, just at 9 o'clock, I shut the computer off. What, what are my key things I need to work on today? Always remember that. People always plan, 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 plan. They look for the long-term goals. Don't do it. You don't know what's going to happen next month. Why? Because market can change. Weather can change. What if we get a three feet of snow next two weeks? Don't plan for long-term. Plan for long-term what is you can build on always in short-terms, mid-term, and then takes it to the long-term. So look at the near-term. What exactly are you looking at? What are my tomorrow's goals? What I need to work on? What's the next week? And that's all it is. You wake up every day. Again, say, thank God I'm healthy. And start your morning, what you left off last night, and just keep on moving. All right. I gratitude is the um, number one skill for people who want to build a successful and fulfilling life. So it focuses you and then you start moving in the right direction. That's excellent. 100% right. I agree. Yes. So, um, and uh, I, I love the way you said that you have to focus on the short term and uh, measure your risks before you start your business because think about it, uh, people who work in the corporate business, um, they often get really bogged down in terms of the systems, different methodologies, and they analyze uh, endlessly on things. Um, but when you're uh, an entrepreneur and you have this um, drive and also a challenge and uh, short of cash flow and like real things that they they put you in a real world where you have to act 
first of all, very relevant to today and also measure mm -hmm. your um, uh, success with money and making sure that everything is sustainable. So if you were to um, uh, give an advice to someone who's leaving their work, their jobs, uh, and starting a consulting around what they were doing, um, how, how would you give them like, what would be the first steps and uh, uh, how much money they need to really save up? Uh, what do they need to invest in? Uh, what mm -hmm. are your um, advice about that? Of course. All right. So again, this is a few part question. So let's, let's start with this. You, for example, if you're in a corporate world, assess yourself what your core capabilities are. That's the first thing. Uh, because, you know, I had done uh, business, you know, back in 2008, I had a consulting firm as well. And um, economy, always remember that economy is not your friend. And um, economy has cycles and we call a peak up, peak down, meaning that what goes up, that comes down. So watch out for those cycles. That's the first thing. Do not start, if you are, for example, uh, depends on type of the business, but it's going to go to every business. If you are trying to start a business, if, and that is uh, near the downturn cycle, and when I say downturn cycle, you have to be a pseudo-economist to measure the market. Um, you know, when you look at a downturn cycle, we call recession cycles. It's always a five years or seven years. It could be 10 years. This is the longest prolonged cycle we have since 2008. We did not have a recession. If you go back to five to six cycles, we had recession, not only U.S., but globally. It's cycles of four to six years, and which means it goes up and it's got to come down. And um, at the Wall Street level, in the Wall Street, we call them boiler room. And uh, what they, in a boiler room, what they look at that, okay, it's going up, it's going down. So the first measure, be very careful. First of all, assess yourself what your capabilities are, what you're going to offer to the markets, is your services or the products, are, why, why somebody wants them. Do competitive analysis. Look at your competitors and why you are the best, what differentiates you from the other ones. Because you're not the only one. There are no new ideas anymore, believe it or not. Uh, in a world, we have explored everything nowadays. So there's no new ideas. It has to be a unique idea that why you're better than somebody else. So that's the first thing. Second thing, do not start a business on a downturn cycle when it's near recession. Because that, that, that's going to pose a lot of risks. Because you might have a very short-term success, six months a year, but when the recession comes, we call the bottom of the barrel of the new companies are the one who will take the hits, not the big names or the big fishes. So that's the first thing. Next thing is that uh, the capital. How much capital? So it will depend on uh, each individual business, what the nature of the business is. When you start a business, remember that there's going to be initial investment costs, filing a company, uh, your insurances, office space, and then uh, your marketing costs. Uh, those are very much upfront costs, and depending on how big you want to go, you want to uh, hire employees from day one, or you want to start as a single entity for yourself, and then grow from there, and then you hire people on a need basis. Uh, so that's the second part. Third part is that uh, you always want to keep a cushion 
besides your initial cost, marketing cost, and for a six month to year business cost, and that you have to have already put away that this is my one year, do not expect a business to give a return for the very first year. So that means the cost associated with that has to be put away. That means save the way for the usage. Now comes in is that if you're single, then you're fine. You can live in a car and start a business. Watch out for that. We have families, we have grown people. If somebody has 15, 20, 30 years of a corporate experience and they're starting a business, that means we have a family responsibility, financial responsibility for the family. So make sure that you have at least a year to year and a half, you know, that, that much of the cost associated with your personal expenses, family expenses, put away because you're not going to earn anything in the first year. And these are, you know, we, I call them capacity financial planning for yourself. You have to do this because a lot of people think that if transitioning from corporate world, corporate world, you don't worry about the uh, risk. You worry about the risk on the products, what you're doing, but you don't worry about too much on a company, a corporate side, because what is the worst can happen? Uh, for example, I was a portfolio manager. If my risk goes beyond my threshold, what's the worst can happen? I can go ahead and sit down with my leadership and give them all the reasoning. Why, 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 why? Okay? But here's the thing now. When you start your own business, there's no reason. Because it's your own business. So calculate your risks. Always calculate your risk. If your risk threshold goes beyond 30, 35 to 40%, think twice before you start your own company. Because if the tolerance is not there, and if you've been away from the market six months a year, breaking it back into your corporate world or back to your job might pose a lot more challenges, and that can impact you, and it can impact your family. So right. just, just, I always say to watch out for these nuances. Research. Go, go read up. Right. That's why um, the podcast like this and reading online would really help. Um, or also um, at the... Uh, um, uh, trying to uh, create a community where we share uh, tips and tricks and uh, we create a community of uh, small businesses and also anyone uh, or uh, people from academia who want to help and share their knowledge um, and uh, people can just learn from each other and that's uh, that's wonderful because there's the competition part and there's also the collaboration part to the businesses. Um, but I want to build on uh, your answer about the economy cycles. Um, and that is fascinating because uh, there were certain big companies that started during the recession. And the reason why they started is because their um, owners didn't have their job anymore. And they were forced into having their own business and building something new from scratch. And then they grew and uh, they showed the markets and, and the people that the demand is very high, even during recession for uh, their services. And one of the companies that did that was Disney. So, uh, and we can see that today they are also launching Disney Plus. Um, and uh, since this this cycle of economy, successful economy was so long, 
everyone is a bit worried in terms of when it's going to end. I remember that you also led your own business when you were younger in a different industry, the restaurant business. I'm wondering how can you connect, like maybe you can share your experience of connecting the economy cycles with an industry like a restaurant. So I think you have a very, very good commentary prior to my response now is that, so there are businesses, they might thrive, not thrive, but survive, uh, even during the uh, recession time or the downturn time. Uh, restaurants, one of those businesses, so I can name you a few, how, how if you're in a corporate world, depending on the product you're selling, you would have, you would have challenges no matter what type of business you are during the downturn time or recession time. There's some businesses, they can still survive. Again, for example, uh, everybody needs a gas in their car. It's a gas station. So when you go to the gas station, you're gonna buy gum, you're gonna buy this, you're gonna buy this. Because in America, um, we, we do not have a habit of taking a mass transportation, which is called uh, buses or trains. And all. We, we love our cars. And we go around the corner, we still need a car. So, for example, a gas is a necessity. It's not a pleasure anymore that, okay, oh, yeah, no, it's a necessity. Right. Restaurant. Uh, we, in, you know, the world we live in nowadays, cooking at home every day, it, it's, 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 it's a luxury nowadays because our working lifestyle, okay. um, even also our, um, you know, consumer-based economy because we're so used to going out almost every day. Family, you can grab a sandwich for lunch or on the way back. Uh, we bring the leftover, or we can stop by, grab something. Oh, it's seven o'clock now, you know, we'll just go home, you know. Who's going to cook? It's too late now. So we, we are so used to that type of lifestyle. Restaurant will survive, depending on if you're a five star restaurant and a per plate, a per meal per person costs 35 bucks, they won't survive. Mm-hmm. You see the episode within an episode here? No. So a restaurant, which is a very, um, you know, upper class, some of them will survive, not all of them. If you have an average restaurant, depending on what type of uh, food you're selling and what, what you know, um, prices are, most likely they will survive. Now comes to mind. So, yes, I came from New York uh, back in 95 when I moved to Maryland, uh, from New York to Maryland back in 95, and I was young. So I partnered up with a few guys, and uh, we opened up a, what you call a pizza shop and restaurant. And because I had a prior experience to it, uh, almost four to five years back in New York with my uncle. So we had a, a restaurant and nightclub called Cristofre back in Brooklyn. And I worked with my uncle and uh, I reigned it. Uh, I was young and uh, uh, I'm a chef. So I ran the nightclub and restaurant for almost five years. And then I moved to uh, Maryland back in 95 and I started my own restaurant. We were three partners. Great business, you know, it, it's, I think you brought this up before we start the interview is that, you know, in a corporate world, people work 35, 40 years and they desire to open up a restaurant or just open up a corner bar, a pub, right? That, that is the end goal for everybody. A lot of people put it this way. And, uh, and I went to the, as a uh, backward direction. So I started from restaurant and uh, did it almost till from 95 to end of, close to the end of 97. And, um, it was great, and I'll tell you that though. Once my, you know, IT entrepreneurship uh, wraps up at the retirement age, that'll be the same goal. I will open up a restaurant again. 
because that will be my, I would say, our retirement days. That will keep me busy. And, um, yes, I would love to do that. But the transition, uh, here's the beauty of restaurant business. What you learn from restaurant is, is, uh, is a customer relationship that how's you, um, how you deal with the customers because you're not always not going to get a happy customer walking into your restaurant. You're going to have angry customers. And that is a key skill, one of the key skills I learned, which is called people skill and uh, salesman skill or um, dealing with people. I mean, if somebody can walk in who wants a one pizza, somebody walks in with a party pizza, maybe 40 pizza, how do you, how do you kind of uh, uh, you know, meet those expectations and how do you satisfy those customers? So that's a key skill. I would say one of the key skills I learned in my restaurant years is that how to work with the people how to listen to them, how to, um, somebody, somebody orders a food and brings it back. What do you do with that? Are you going to stand there and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to give you a turn now. No refund. You already took a bite, right? You already <laughs> started eating a pizza. How do you deal with those things? I think that was the initial entry point for me to learn people, learn the people business and how, how to really work with the people in that carried with me uh, through my IT years as a, in a corporate world. And um, that helped me to be what I am now, which is that people, people, people. Always remember that. You, if you can learn to work with a people, no matter what type they are, what color they are, people are people. There's no difference. Right. And um, <clears throat> it's a, a very inspiring story about the restaurants because um, – uh, the the work with people and the transaction that is there, it's very easy to get feedback right away. You mm -hmm. you don't need thousand meetings. You don't need to know exactly who's on the committee <laughs> and who's making no. decisions. So you have the customer in front of you, and you can see right away whether they they are happy or not. <laughs> so, yeah. in terms of a customer service, how do you get that? five-star rating on Yelp if you're a restaurant. How do you deal? First of all, I think the question is, how do you deal with customers that are already uh, angry when they walk into the door and probably not because of your product yet, uh, but just because they had a bad day, they have a difficult lives or they have difficult careers and they're already very stressed and angry when they come in and mm -hmm. even if there is tiny little bit thing that is wrong with your service or you're a bit late with the tea or water they're gonna snap at you so how okay. do you diffuse that type of situation for example of course of course uh look if it's a restaurant business or it's a government or is it that corporate world people people always say that somebody approaches you with something that um, the way you said that, okay, that they're already having a bad day and you happen to be now facing them, right? right? Listen to them. Okay. First thing, listen to what exactly the problem is and uh, what, what the issue is. Give them a moment. It could be a few seconds. Listen first. Always remember, not here. Listen and try to absorb it. What exactly? And, and don't, don't try, never prejudge people. Always remember that when somebody comes to you, and start saying, hey, this is, but you know, why this is, don't start, don't make the prejudgment. Just listen and first, what exactly the issue is. And um, 
it might not give you the full picture. But one thing in the response is that never use the word why. Why do you yell at me? Why 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 is this a problem? Never use the word why. This is this is a call uh mind understanding, okay? No prejudgment of a person. Never use the word why in return. Why are you yelling at me? Why 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 are you coming here? You know, problem. Never use pose the question back. A powerful question. Always remember that the type of question you can respond back to certain scenarios. Always ask powerful questions. And when you respond, you know why? Because powerful questions are responses that create the curiosity. They create the motivation of a person to tell you more. Once a person opens up more, this is where you get to know what the picture is. And then at the end, ask them, what do you think the solution will be? What do you think that what's going on here? You'll be surprised that people who come in with that attitude or that kind of concern, they only know the answer. Let them answer for you. Do not answer for them. Don't, again, never use the word why in a lot of scenarios. Use the what do you think? What is the reason? Use, change it. Let person understand on their own that what they're doing. It, it, that's it. That's all it is. You can diffuse any situation, but again and again, listen first. No prejudgment. Don't measure the person. It's like one of those calls called singing chairs, all right? Don't think they're red color, purple color. No. They will give you, if they're mad, you'll be surprised. They only know the solution. Let them answer that for you. And that's the best way to deal with them. That's brilliant. I really loved it. And it's great because marketing in B2C, the business to consumer field, can be so much easier because you go one customer at a time. Mm-hmm. And if you make one customer happy, they will come back, they will write reviews, and there are a lot of tools to reach the consumers these days. However, in a corporate world, when you're doing B2B sales, what kind of marketing techniques or marketing uh, channels do you personally use right now to attract more business? That's a good question. So in my world, I am primarily focused and my key uh, clients or customers are fellow government. Okay. Uh, In a fellow government, uh, there's a little distinction uh, it's a federal government, and that includes all the D.C., anything that starts with, the, um, I don't know, USDA. I used to work for the USDA, FDA, U.S. Treasury. So that is a core federal government. And the second part is DOD. Some people call them federal government. Yeah, of course, they follow the same rules, same laws, but they're a different entity in reality. They come under Congress mandates. So within a DOD, then you have a different military services. You have Army, you have a Navy, you have an Air Force, you have OSD, and, and then it goes on and on because uh, DOD is a whole world within a world. So my key clients are within federal governments and a DOD, um, and it's a different way of marketing there because you cannot just go out there and start sending them flyers. It doesn't work. Or start sending them uh, marketing material. Then I will look at those things. First of all, the manager tries to send them an email with a brochure, and you're not we call them, um, you, would not, uh, you do not have a security clearance or a government email. You send them an email, it's going to get burned. It will not even reach them. So you cannot do a direct marketing. You cannot do a direct mail. Uh, you cannot do the cold calling. You do two, three times cold calling. They will know who you are, and they will come. You'll knock your door. Hey, stop calling. You're calling a government employee, right? So don't do that. So there are different channels 
then you have to utilize um in you know in a government in a federal government a u.s government you have to know first thing comes first networking is always a personal networking is always an effective tool uh within a government it is it's at the highest level which means is that you have to know people in there you have to have a network you have to understand the government's inner working and a government working rules and regulations so it's a whole different world to work with and for federal government and uh, my core uh, competencies and a work related now it is with the federal government uh, primarily right now with the u.s air force and a couple of engagements with the usda and uh, u.s treasury but primarily is with the dod united states air force and how it works again um you, you just need to know people in there you you work with them and with the government beauties that um if you have done well on a one or two contracts with the government it's a pretty much you become an incumbent and um it's just an ongoing because you have done a great job with a quality uh, service quality product and they're satisfied with all the one what you have provided them it opens up a lot a lot of doors for you uh we call them past performance in a government business right and uh, once you do have a few past performances that you can leverage and start contracting on a new contracts, it, it does open up a lot of doors for you. So it's a different way of marketing with the government. And um, it's less of a marketing because government has a space we call fedgov.biz. All the government contracts come there and you have to literally do the RFP, meaning the contracts open up there for the market or for the vendors, you have to bid on those. So there's a process of, how you bid on those contracts. So again, it's a little bit different than a private sector. So the term is used public and a private, right? So the public is a government and private is a commercial. So the marketing scenario is much different than what's in the private sector and what's in the public sector. It's a great story that you shared with us because uh, a lot of people who are outsiders to the system, uh, they have no idea of how to do it and what are the first steps and uh, what are the requirements and etc how did you in the first place got interested in the it field and transition from having a restaurant into the corporate world and also maybe you can share a story of how did you sell your restaurant and how is that process look like okay so that's a great question let's let's get ready for that it might be a couple of minutes of a response now so I started back in 95. So I moved from New York and uh, already had experience in a restaurant and club business. So came to Maryland and I had a couple of good friends and, uh, and that was a reason to move from New York to start the restaurant. So we found a place in Columbia. There was a restaurant shut down and I purchased that. And then I developed into a restaurant and uh, from 95 till end of 97. And the reason for leaving restaurant is that any business, it's a restaurant or it's a corporate, excuse me, IT services business. It requires a discipline. Discipline your personal life, discipline your finance life, how to manage those, and also how we really uh, maintain what you develop. If you do not have the discipline, that no business survives. So for me, I was so young at that time and uh, motivated, you know, ambitious, but did not lack the discipline to really maintain and sustain this for long run. And uh, 97 came in and 
we're embarking on, a, um, we talk about the kind of, uh, you know, recession cycles. Around 98, we were, but 97 recession was already starting. And I decided that, okay, restaurants slow down and what are my options are. So I sold my partnership. I had a 33, uh, 33% partnership in restaurants so with three partners there. And uh, sat down, okay, what are I supposed to do? Um, no choices. What do you do? Uh, open up a new restaurant? No, didn't want to do that. So do what? I had a good friend of mine, and uh, sometimes you'll be surprised that, again, I always say that people, 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 network. I had a good friend of mine. He was in IT business back in, at that time. He goes, you know, uh, she, why don't you do this? Um, my company needs a visual basic developer. Why don't you go ahead and study up and uh, come to my company and I'll talk to my boss? And that's what I did back in 90, again, it was right at the beginning of 98. And um, I just opened up a VD book. He gave me the book. I studied for two weeks. And um, uh, computers were a big thing back those days, big ones, bulky ones, not, not one of those tin ones nowadays. And um, just practiced the code and um, went for an interview. And that was the first job. And again, always remember that. How, what, is, what is, you know, besides your personal skills, your network, marketing, what is the skill that is, makes you successful? Leadership, you can learn, you have natural talent, and you can grow and be successful. But beside all these things, what, what exactly makes you successful? All those are skills. But what comes from the inside is your confidence. Are you confident enough to stand on your grounds and say, you know what? I might not know it, but if you give me the opportunity, I can prove that I can do same as other person who can do the job. Even if you're wrong, always remember that. Take the responsibility. Hey, I am wrong. This is a wrong course, but I will adapt to the new course and make myself and the company successful. Confidence, confidence, confidence. When you speak a word, speak with confidence. Do not say if, you know, maybe don't use those words because a listener would have a lack, lack of faith in you. Anybody you talk to in a business world, in a, in a personal world, speak with a confidence. When you say something, somebody will listen to you, but they come with a strong word, confidence. So I came to the IT world, and I remember that, my first job, uh, the owner of the company, a small company, they were doing a contracting for um, NSA at that time, and um, right in Columbia, uh, Jessup area. I went up to the uh, owner, he goes, why would I give you a job? You don't know anything. I said, I, I agree with that, but I know enough because I know that what you do on a monthly basis for the government, right? A small contract he was working on. You need a body who can work with those servers. They were developing a service for the government. But you need a body who can work with you because you're short of people. Give me an opportunity. I can prove you that, you know, I can do the job. And also, I put the precondition. Give me 30 days. No paycheck. But when I come back after 30 days, if I deliver what the manager of my uh, department asked me, can I expect a check and a job? So I was, I said, I'll give the owner of the company that option. And it worked. That, that was, that was a, you know, one of those uh, flash cards you play, right? The poker card, it worked. But again, be careful. It might not work until nowadays because back in 98, IT market was very different. I worked for a whole month. And, uh, but what I did is that start working on servers, start building the servers, but I would go to work, I work, I come back, I study till two o'clock in the morning. 
because when I got the job, I only learned enough to get the job. Well, you have to be good at that. Um, we, we, we can make up a stories to get a job or start something, but you have to show with your skills. You have to show that you're capable and you can do the job. So whole month, I work five days till five o'clock, come home and study till two o'clock in the morning. And over the weekend, I learned the whole visual basic language and start working development, also the servers. After the month, I deliver what the expectation was, and I knocked it, uh, went to my uh, owner of the company. I still don't know his name, Gunther, a great uh, German gentleman. And I walked into office, we sat down, and I said, okay, Mr. Gunther, uh, these are my data sheets. I delivered in one month. Can I ask you now that will you keep just out of the bargain? Can I have my paycheck and get into your job? And that's how I got my first job. He gave me the check of my spot. He called his payroll department. Hey, can you issue Shahid a check and a job offer letter? And I progressed from there. So I started my career in IT as a developer. Started from 98 as a developer. Stayed within a Microsoft platform, VD. Uh, used to be ASP. Uh, in the early uh, 2001, 2002, I decided to go to the next level in my career. So I started working on database engineering as a database administrator. So I was a DBA for SQL Server, Oracle Sybase, kept going, came 2005. I said, okay, I've done enough. I'm great at this. So why don't I go to the next step? So I came into the project management world in 2005. And 2005, I did the PMI methodology till 2008 then. And uh, decided that uh, it's a great pl- uh, framework, but it brings a lot of nuance to it because market is changing. Uh, late 90s and early 2000s, when you look at the market, there's a, it's a rapid development of applications, software. Deployments are happening on a weekly and monthly basis. So PMI framework is a great framework. It's been successful. But again, again, I always use the word market trend. It has changed. People, other companies, do not want the product to be in a market six months later if that's a six-month product or project. A company want to put something out there, even as an MVP, we call minimum viable product, right? They want customers to know right away so they can be a part of the competition and grab the you know, comp- compensation for that. And so I came into the uh, Agile world, and um, from Agile world, that's where I am now, but uh, all my transition of 20 plus years, always look for something in your life. The key key uh, takeaway from my 2021 year of the career is that there's no quick grab in the world. Only mm-hmm. quick grab is a lottery. Keep on playing if that's what you want. But <laughs> if you want to develop yourself, you want to be successful, learn. Learn from others. Learn on your own. And, and do it. Be good at it. You know, a knowledge, uh, education is a great segue. But education, for example, I'll give you an example, MBA, what they learn MBA. Great, you know, transitions, you know, from postgraduate into the uh, MBA. Here's the thing. If you do MBA from, uh, we call Ivy League schools, you come out and you'll guarantee a job in a big corporate world. Uh, MBA nowadays is a degree. It gives you a great deal of knowledge. Degree does not make you successful. Degree gives you enough to build on it is a segue, a pivot on your degree, but still work hard. There's no quick successes again and again. You win the lottery, you're happy. Go through the learning transition, which is that start small, a job, 
go into it, get better, get better. It's like taking a step in your house, go upward, but you have to take those steps. Don't think you're going to jump and go in front of the road. It doesn't work. It might work for a short period of time, but sooner or later it'll catch up to you because you have not developed that sustainable skill or competency for you to be successful. So again and again. Yes. And uh, I steps. love, I, I love your, um, your experience with a visual basic because you learned on the spot, on the job without getting any degree or being like, okay, let me take a time off, go to school for six months or a year mm -hmm. <laughs> and go back yeah. to work. So, but because a lot of times people go and look for those formal opportunities to learn and to succeed where the necessity sometimes really does drive the person into the direction of where he can either give up or keep going and become much stronger, which what right. you did. And that's just yeah. amazing. And uh, were you always into like math and science when you were in, in school, in high school, for example? Because I there's was also actually, a notion, either you are like a natural science person or you're a, you know, arts person. So. I, I was always creative, even when in high school. I remember that. I, was, mm -hmm. I had a science subject, I had a physical chemistry and biology. And um, it might sound inhumane, but uh, I always loved peeling onions, okay? Layer after layer, I tried to see the, what exactly in there. And the second thing, in the biology, uh, again, I, it might sound inhumane, but I had a knack of uh, dissecting frogs and trying to explore what, he, what, what exactly we are, what, what, is, what is made out of, what that gave me, um, I mean, I did not dissect too many uh, frogs, believe it or not, only one or two of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's part of biology class, uh, uh, you know. But, you know, curiosity, you know, direct your curiosity into the right direction, not into the wrong direction, you know. And again and again, when I use the word confidence, create the confidence in you, you know, confidence to speak in front of people, confidence to uh, negotiate with people, mitigate, facilitate, for you to be successful, the key core skills, again, confidence. Uh, next thing is that how you coach people. There's a great art in there, there's a great science in there. How you negotiate with people, how you mitigate, and a key thing is that how you facilitate. And you talk about that angry customer. How do you facilitate that? How you redirect that? Learn those things. That is a key success. Making money, you know, I always say that uh, you can look at people, um, we talk about Microsoft, what is that? You know, Microsoft and Apple and all these big names. And we think that those people, you know what? There are a lot of people came with those ideas. Couple stick, Apple stick, Microsoft stick. What happened to other ones? So we always talk about success people. I mean, successful people, we think that we just want to follow them. Yeah, that's fine. They're they a good example. But if you look at that, thousands of thousands of people came in in the last 20 years with the great ideas. Some stuck. These are two of them, key example. What happened to the rest of them? Never get disheartened. Look at yourself. Always, always assess yourself. That's a key thing and confidence. And you know, and what you said about the, uh, my VB uh, learning, with your basic, you know, they always say that. Confidence, necessity, Necessity is the mother of all the inventions. So right. be confident 
and then just, just do it. That's all. But also, I think you know a lot about negotiation because the guy really didn't have anything to lose. Listen, it's, I always remember you that. You gave remember him a really ahead. good offer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you didn't deliver, yes. you had something to lose. You lost your 30 days of work. But for him, I mean, of course, he took on some reputational risk for the company for sending you out there to work for the client. Uh, but really, it, it was a still good offer for him. So that knowing that you are giving him a good alternative, uh, whereas he didn't have anybody to fulfill the work, was a no, good part on your uh, negotiation skills. Assess the yes. situation. First of all, mm -hmm. look at your surroundings. Remember I said that, no prejudgments. Never do the prejudgment of a person or the situation, but make sure that you're in control. You do offer multiple choices, but always look at that situation. And again, we go back to my first job, all right? I knew that that gentleman would not be able to hire anybody that need a person like a yesterday. Okay? Right. So I really assessed the situation. I knew that if I walk in with the reference because a friend, a good friend of mine, he was working there as a developer, senior developer. So I knew inside exactly what the situation is, what I need to bring on the table. And uh, the owner of the company knew that, okay, Shahid is coming up with a reference. So if I hire him, his friend is a senior developer who will help him coach him and still deliver. So he knew his opportunities are risk. I knew mine. I knew that, okay, he needs a person to get the job done. So I assess the situation before even walk into the office. So again, negotiate, look at your losses, but look at the whole picture. Just don't look at your gain. That that what I would get. No. Look at, as a, I call a 120 foot view from that point that, okay, how you can hit it and how it's going to be successful. And that's yes. all it is. That's excellent because it, it, it really keeps you relevant uh, and keeps you humble at the same time because you don't mm -hmm. become complacent. Oh, um, you know, have this position now. I have all these nice accreditations because that would happen sometimes to people and then they get stuck in a certain position or career or company because they think that's it. They are it and they achieved it yeah. and they don't have to move further. And what I love about you that you're always looking for new things to do uh, and interesting opportunities and interests and uh, different projects. So uh, in this podcast, we um, like to dig deep and analyze how winners and achievers are made. So following questions would be more about that. Like, do you think there any, have there been any experiences in your childhood maybe that has shaped your confidence? How did you achieve your confidence? Like you talk about confidence a lot. Was it something you struggled with in the beginning as a child or like a teenager? Or were you always like this bright and, and your family, everyone was just maybe always pouring yeah. a lot of compliments on you, <laughs> saying like, oh, you're just greatest. Because, <laughs> you know, there are certain, there are two thoughts of school. I mean, um, there are two schools of thought about this. 
some parents mm -hmm. think that if you scold your child more he's going to get motivated and be better and some parents think that you have to praise them everywhere and always encourage them and then they'll get better so i wonder which one did you really get <laughs> ah that's a good question i don't know honestly mr nara yeah here's the thing you know you know god has given us some natural talent of gifts okay and that is given by God. And upbringing has a, some part of it. I think um, it's still going to depend on each individual. So, in, you know, you, you can raise your kids. Uh, people raise their kids with uh, a lot of expectations, uh, a lot of discipline. You know what? It, it's just like a throwing a ball in a, uh, in, a, in a corner. You don't know. It's, again, it's, it's anybody's guess. Those things do help. Again, I would not discard them. They still have a, some, some, some components of the upbringing that will create the confidence in them. Let the kids do on their own, at least some level. Let them free. In my case, we are eight brothers and sisters. So confidence, I don't know. Maybe just, uh, you know, came the youngest, on What was the, your... Uh, no, I'm number three in a pack of eight. You're number three, okay. <laughs> I'm number three in a pack of eight, right? So, and... Um, and a big family, beautiful family. And um, again, I, I honestly, and I, it's hard to answer that, you know, confidence. I was from younger days, uh, very outgoing. Um, I was always an achiever and I uh, always wanted to achieve more than what I can be honest with you, because I always wanted to go learn more. There's always been a desire. If I was, you know, in a school, I always had A plus. And uh, even with my, um, you know, growing up, our silly behavior always got away with that because I always had A plus. So parents was lucky slide because, hey, you're doing so good in school, all right? Hey, give them an easy pass. You want to do silly things, all right? And, uh, <laughs> and it's natural in a big family, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. but I think the confidence, um, and I left the house when I was young. I was about 15, almost coming 16, all right? And um, I started my own, uh, meaning I came to uh, U.S. at that time and from England. And, um, you know, confidence just uh, again and again, it's so hard to answer that. Right. Because there's some, so some many people... factors that shape, but uh, sometimes yeah. people remember, and that's why I was asking, sometimes uh, if you had a certain moment or a, or a situation, they would remember and say like, this is what brought me into it and et cetera. But for most of us, it's just, you know, one thing with another and it just comes with a whole bucket of other things. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the next- uh, It's natural. Yeah. So the next question is that, um, do you have a, a, what's your favorite book that had an impact on your way of thinking, way of living? Hmm. Good question. Make a surprise. You know, uh, book, make you laugh and surprise, okay? People, people think that if you read a lot of books, it makes you smarter. It's not true at all, actually. No, because books are books. You can mm -hmm. nowadays get a podcast. Now you can have a same book uh, compressed into a small YouTube episode. It could be half or 40 minutes. So, right, uh, right. <laughs> for well, me, yeah, yeah. Reading, yeah. You, can, you can say it can be anything, like any type of information or, or, correct. or a person. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, for me, um, you know, I, I, I look at this way learn something. And that is your core skill. And that's going to give you the confidence because when you have a skill 
and you can be you you can stand there and talk about this that speaks the volume and that speaks the confidence so what i used to do years ago even though i was always outgoing and uh you know and you'll be surprised that uh, more most confident people they have a lot of degrees you put them in a bigger format around 15 20 people or 30 people in a meeting and they have to stand up and do the presentation they will get the butterflies in their stomach they choke up mm-hmm. you know no matter how many how many degrees they have you, you will start seeing the worst tumbling practice i used to practice standing in front of the mirror to be honest with you even nowadays uh, a couple of weeks ago i had to go see um so my current engagement is with the air force so i travel to different um you know, bases in a country, primarily in San Antonio at the Randolph Air Force Base and Andrew Air Force Base. And I do go to Cheyenne, that's Wyoming. But primary is still San Antonio and uh, Texas. And um, I had to do a big presentation. It, it was um, it related to one of their um, cybersecurity, we call them ATO, authorized to offer systems. And um, the audience was pretty big. We had a couple of generals coming out of our NACAMs and uh, NACOMs. They're, they're from Germany and Guam and all those. And I knew the audience. The audience are tough cookie. You have to be uh, in a military style, even though I'm a civilian, and they are four-star generals. But what the expectation is that how to meet that? I mean, every civilian, when you sit around 25 people, okay, and they're all military brass, all right, and you're a civilian, <laughs> it, 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 it'll, it'll make you sweat. It'll make you sweat before you walk in. And uh, just practice, you know, um, right. read, read the books. Don't go into too much into motivational things. You know, a lot of people um, get into, uh, when they start driving, they put the CD or the flash drive into the uh, you know, car nowadays, all right, and start listening to um, Billy Bob giving a speech, a motivational speech. Yes, be strong. Yeah, that's fine. But how does that help you? It's just motivational speeches. Listen to an extent. Go, go for something. There, there are certain things in the market. Learn people, learn the crowd. That is the motivational things. Understand people's psychology, opposing people. Understand people. Once you understand people, you might never understand everybody, but understand the audience always before you walk in. Learn those techniques. Um, How would you walk into the room? So that's a technique. So you talk about a book, all right? And I learned this long time ago that when you walk into a room, okay, and you are the one who's going to be speaker presenting, what is your key strategy? How do you know that who's who? Yeah, you know the names. How do you know the personalities? What they want? I always use the word no prejudgment. So you walk into the room, just to give you a scenario of 10 people. You will see people the way they sit. Observe every individual in a room. So you've got 10 people observe. Some people put their hand on the left side of the face and lean down, put their head down. And that's a person who's a thinker, who like to think. So when you address the person question, address them with the caution because they will start analyzing your response the minute you give it to them. Mm-hmm. There are some people who lean on the table, like the arms are on the table. Those are the people who really want to hear you. And there are people who lean back. So assess, learn how to, that is one of the things that you can learn. Read a book, go online, study those things. And next thing is that even when you address those people, part two of it, now you understand people and people's physical psychology, how you respond to it. And a key thing always comes in, speech elevation. 
when you talk to people, when you're doing a presentation, how to bring your speech up and down and sensitive about this called speech elevation. Those are the techniques I learned them a long time ago. That when you go address people, when you address a crowd, your personal hand movement, your gesture, your speech elevation, observing people, responding, those are the key things you have to learn. You want to be successful? This is also key trigger to your successful is that how you learn to be successful with the people and how you respond, how you talk yourself. Otherwise, you go out there, I don't know, this is the book. So this will be my first reference is that, yes, your question yeah, was about yeah. the Do book. Do you remember the title of the book? I, I don't honestly, be honest, it's so long. It's been <laughs> okay. so long. And, yeah, um, some books I, sometimes they just grow into you and you know, you yeah. retain the information, but um, you, you might not remember the name of the book. Um, but uh, what kind of activity do you do uh, till this day that um, you like? Like what's your sort of a getaway or relaxation technique? Well, uh, used to be 12 years and a half ago. So I have a beautiful daughter. She was born in 2018, and uh, now that's the biggest activity and a free time or any time. Uh, but prior to that, um, I play tennis. I'm very good at that. Um, all my corporate career in the last 12, 14 years, I am a, uh, we call double, a single player, double player. So I'm a double player. I have a lot of corporate championships. Uh, Vakovia, I was a champion in 2005, 2006 in North Carolina, Duke Energy. Uh, Fanny Mae, so I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to say great, I'm a very good tennis player. Uh, my secondary hobby, I love motorcycle. I'm a Harley Davidson guy. So I had it till uh, mm -hmm. my younger baby was born and I sold it. And now I'm hoping um, in time I will get it again. And uh, that's my, just my hobby that, you know, just gives me uh, something that I can just, you know, even a half hour drive, I'll just go out the country, you know, and just, 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 just feel yourself, just a little getaway. So, yeah. I was a motorcycle and um, tennis. Tennis, yeah, it's exciting. I love tennis as well. And yeah. they say about tennis people that, that it's, it's really about the competitive nature that it mm -hmm. brings out. <laughs> However, yeah. uh, that's, that's a good segue into a, a next question. Um, uh, and I can see that you've always been achiever and it also manifests as you are a, a good learner. So, um, however, uh, what do you think has made you today who you are, uh, your success as an individual and as a professional, what helped you more, the competitive nature of you or the collaboration, collaborative nature of you, where you call, you know, you talked about the confidence that Mm -hmm. has the, the competitive nature, but also you talked about the people, 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 and that sounds like more a collaborative philosophy. So I'm sure. wondering, what do you lean into more? You have ah, to be more open question. and collaborative or you got to go sure. and learn, sure. learn and compete. There we go. So uh, the both is a part of one. Your competitiveness creates opportunities and you look for opportunities in order for you to be successful is collaboration. So that means they're both in one. So right. my competitive nature wants me to learn more. You know, I teach agile and within agile, there are different things I teach uh, in a safe 
So I teach um, Scrum Master, Advanced Scrum Master, Safe Agilist, uh, Safe for the Government. That's a key thing for me, the product owner. So I teach, in my, and I only teach over the weekends because weekdays I have my full-time business, which is you know, getting part of it, uh, which is inside the government side. So when I teach over the weekends, um, you know, people sometimes come and ask me, hey, you, you teach all this stuff now, so you're good now. You don't have to learn anymore. I said, no, you're always learning. You know, and, and my grandfather always said that, you know, you, you're learning till you die. You might not know everything. It's impossible. So you're always going to need something to know what you're going to learn. So learning never stops, first of all. The competitive nature, what I have, my competitive nature, you know, it helps me to stay on guard. Don't think that what you know, this is it. Or you're just going to take this till you retire or at the end of the day. It's not. Uh, nowadays, market changes so fast. You have to be on guard all the time, learning new skills, learning new things for you to stay where you are or grow from there. And collaboration. You have to collaborate with your clients. You have to collaborate with the people who work for you. And you have to collaborate at once. So they both go hand in hand, to be honest with you. You cannot take one. If you just collaborate, if you're not competitive, then you just stale. If you're too competitive and you cannot work with the people, or you cannot collaborate, it doesn't work either. Because right. people work for you. You know, you have to appreciate people. I always believe that. Get them opportunities. Get them that environment to be successful. And I always say that they bring success for you. So they both go in hand in hand. Because you're not the only one competing on those uh, RFPs, all right? Uh, in D.C. Right. circuit or D.C. area, there are hundreds of companies. And they have specialized staff to respond to those responses. And... Um, so even if you get a one proposal, you're successful and you compete a bit and then you win a bit. Then comes in your you know, previous question you had, which are very good questions. Now, how do you deliver now? You're competitive. You went ahead and somehow, let's say you got to um, just take a small number. You got um, a bit of proof or you want a bit, that's a million dollar, right? Well, how do you deliver now? If you do not have the collaborative uh, skills to develop the team now, or you only do not have a team to make that what the government uh, uh, contract obligations are. And there are a lot of companies uh, in this market. I've seen, I've been around DC market since what, 2003, 2002, right? And a lot of companies, they start, they ramp up the resources. Uh, they start working in government because they, their thought is that, oh, government's easy money. And it could be. You need to know that exactly what is, what's on your plate. They don't survive too long. And a drawback is that the reason they do not survive too long, I always remember this one. If you deliver a good product, a quality product, and in a government sector, we said that it met the bar or exceeded the bar, you will survive and you will grow from there. Some lesson learned, but you will grow from there. But learn to collaborate. Learn to, you know, do things right, you know. Uh, now you have a business. Don't be greedy. That's all. As simple as it is, you know. Try to deliver a quality product, and forget about the bar. Meet or exceed customer expectations. Build your company around those. Keep them as your goals, not the vision. Our vision could be, oh, I want to go to the moon. But your goals are how you deliver, how you satisfy customer needs and their concerns. And just deliver the best product, and that's all it comes down to. All right, take care of your stakeholders 
and that will take care of your business. And <laughs> that's 10% true. Yeah. I agree. Great. Well, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation and uh, a lot of very applicable, useful tips and uh, things that can be used right away in your life, like confidence, people, collaboration, always staying on top of things and learning things. Next time I see you on this podcast, I'm sure you'll have so many more accreditations <laughs> and maybe even different fields of work. I'm very happy uh, to have you on the podcast today. Um, thank you so much for your time. And good Great. luck thank you with very much, everything Nara. you're doing. Oh, thank you again. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.